You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Take your Bible, if you would, and look with me at John chapter 4. John chapter 4, this morning, as you may or may not have picked up on, we're going to celebrate in a few minutes our Lord's Supper. And for us, it's such an important part of what we do. just kind of didn't want you to not realize that until we get to that point. Um, But we're going to celebrate that after uh, after I share with you from John 4. Last week, we talked about uh, Jesus. He met the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. And most often in chapter 4, when we look at John, we hear all about that story and that exchange with a woman. But this morning, there's a second half to this whole story. And to be honest with you, originally, I just kind of wanted to talk about the whole thing in one message, and I just, I couldn't. So we're doing part two of that. And this story is more than about one woman. It's actually about an entire community, and it's actually a teachable moment for Jesus' disciples. And he explains to them kind of what's going on, even why he went to Samaria. And he really was kind of blowing their mind. Because we talked about last week, the, the, the Jewish culture, you don't go to Samaria. It's kind of like you just you don't go to New York City. You just, just don't want to do that. It's just you go around it, you avoid it, you do whatever else you need to do, right? I mean, for those of you that are Long Island, you even who moved here, you're like, I got to get farther away from this city. So, I mean, you're living that reality too. So, so we're going to see an incredible teaching moment this morning of of what God is interested in is more than just one soul. He's interested in lots of people, people that that we interact with all the time, and he wanted to kind of change his disciples' view of the world. They saw the world very differently, and he wanted them to see that he was actively at work in the world, bringing people to him. So read with me if you would in John chapter 4, starting in, in verse 27. The Bible says this, just then, so Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and he just had revealed himself that he's the Messiah. And just then, in verse 27, his disciples came back. They were out getting, they were on a food run. Grubhub hadn't been invented yet. They were out in town. Who knows what they got? But they came back getting, getting lunch, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. They were shocked at that. He was breaking cultural cues. He talked about that last week. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? They're kind of like, hmm, I don't know what this is about. Let's stay quiet on this one. Just leave it alone. So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. She said, come see. He told me everything I've ever done. Do you think this guy's the Christ? She's probably just about convinced that he is, but she was so smart. She just kind of, what do you people think? Because she knew if she told them, they'd be like, you're nuts, lady. What do you think? But they went out to see. In verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. He was thinking spiritual food. They were thinking physical food. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. There's a teachable moment going on. Jesus is trying to help them. Guys, would you stop with the McDonald's, all right? Get off your Starbucks coffee. Like, can we still dial in a little bit and think about some spiritual stuff here, okay? He says, I am, my, my, what I'm all about is doing my Father's work. In verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? 
Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. In other words, you're not paying attention to the world around you. Look at the world differently. Put on a different set of lenses. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. In that culture, your specialty might be planting the, the seed, and you might, if you were a landowner, hire another crop, bunch of day workers to do the reaping. So, But both were kind of sharing in that, all right? And he says in verse 37, For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. This passage is so applicable for us today. Jesus' disciples did not know how to look at the world the way God looked at the world. They didn't get it. And Jesus said, guys, look up, get your nose off the food, leave that nice, you know, Philly cheesesteak, whatever your thing is, leave it alone, and look at the world around us. I can almost wonder if there, those people were coming out of the city. The woman had gone back into town and said, hey, we found this guy, and the picture I get is they immediately left, and Jesus is having this conversation. And I wonder if Jesus is looking out across and saying, hey, look at the fields. They're right, because those people are coming. And he knew you know, that God is stirring something in their lives, and he wanted them to see the world differently. When you look at your world, when you look at when you go to work, and when you gather around, we're headed into the holiday season, and when you're with your families, and maybe when you drive into your neighborhood tonight, what do you see? Do you see a kind of a desert picture? Do you see a picture of sand and dry and dust? And maybe there's one little spiritual life there. You know, maybe you have one coworker that you know is a follower of Christ or somebody that seems to honor God. But when you think spiritually, the people in your office and that you work with are just spiritually, they're just dry and dusty. Or you think maybe, maybe you're even in a situation where you're the one green tree that's out there. As you look at your family, some of you live in a family and you're like, man, I'm trying to follow Jesus, but the rest of my family is not. And it burdens you. Or maybe your view of your workplace is a little different. Maybe it's like the next picture where you kind of have this warning sign that says, beware of snakes. You know, Maybe your family's like, yeah, there's some good things, but there's a couple of snakes running around that I just can't go there. We can't talk about some of that stuff. We can't talk about anything spiritual or anything of God. Or maybe Maybe when you think about your workplace, it's more like fruit that has already fallen that was never picked and it's just been left to go to waste and go to rot. That Maybe there was a time in some of the people's lives, you've even heard some of their stories, that they went to church or maybe were interested, but some things happened and they're just jaded and turned off from God and just have no interest. When Jesus looks at our world today, when He looks at your workplace, when He looks at your neighborhood, when he looks at your family, it's actually the last side is what he sees. He sees a harvest that is ripe already. If Jesus were walking this earth and here in New York in 2021, he would be say, the, the fields are red unto harvest. I think he'd be thinking about all the, the apples that would be you know, ripening on the trees. The trees are, are here. The harvest is here. So my goal this morning is to help you and to me to put on a different set of lenses 
we live in a world, as I've talked with many Christians, some not so much in our church, but around. There's a, a lot of people are jaded about the, the world, and we live in the political scene, the cultural scene, and all of that. But And if we're not careful, we get tainted even in our picture of how to view the world. And, you know, our world is no worse than Israel. In fact, it, their world was actually worse than ours. You, they had soldiers that could take your life and march you and call, do all kinds of things and just, just horrific stuff that even at the worst case of our culture today is nothing like their world. And so I want us to see the world, our world, the way God sees it. And he sees it as a harvest that is ready and he's looking and he's sending out laborers into that harvest. So the first thing I want us to recognize this morning is that, is that Jesus sends us into his harvest. These are kind of four or five lessons of the harvest that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, trying to help them to get this, to know how they're to live out their life the rest of their days. And Jesus sends us out into his harvest. When the disciples came back, Jesus is thirsty, he's hungry. It's a reminder that he is the son of God, but he's also a regular human being that needed to sit down. They got tired, they got hungry, got thirsty, and, and they recognize that they've been going at it strong. And I'm imagining that they, when they hit the, 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 the Chinese takeout place, they're probably munching on the way back, right? They probably already started without Jesus. They're like, here, you need to eat. And he's like, no, I got some other stuff going on. And Jesus says, my job is to do God's work. And that's what I'm all about. I've been at this well having a conversation. We're about to have a bunch more conversations with these folks. What you're about to see over these next couple of days is that the fields are white under harvest. Something that I love about this, you know, it's easy for us to look and say, well, you know, the Billy Grahams of the world, the pastors of the world, the evangelists of the world, or the the missionaries of the world that get paid to go, you know, to go overseas or maybe do work in a certain culture here, they're the ones that, you know, are the ones to really work in the harvest and to share the gospel and to lead people to Christ and to, to work in that. But somebody forgot to tell the Samaritan woman that that wasn't her job. Because the first thing she did is when she met Jesus and was blown away that Jesus, in a very real way, respected her, as we talked about last week, but addressed her sin issues, helped untangle some of the spiritual confusion, and revealed himself to her as her Savior and Lord. It blew her mind and created such an excitement and stir that she left her water pot and left her chores and went to tell other people, like, I have found the one that we have been looking for. You see, when God saves someone, when God saved you and me, when He brought us to that place of, of repenting from our sins and surrendering in faith to Jesus as Lord of our life to save us from that, He not only saved our soul, but He interjected His gospel of grace into the community, into the relationships, into the workplace, into the to the environments that we were already net into. So Jesus had to, in most sermons, and I preach them too, he had to go to Samaria because he had a, he had a, it's going to sound terrible, he had a date with a woman at the well. He, had a, he needed to meet a woman at the well and share the gospel with her, but that's not, that's only the first half of the story. There was a whole community there 
that needed salvation. You see, when God saves one person, He's actually interested in those interconnections around that person. That should encourage some of you here this morning. You see, you have for, for years have looked around like the rest of your family doesn't know Christ, or you're struggling and wondering and how I am and how does this work? And God is God works very slowly, and He does not work quickly. He just slowly grinds over time. And you and I need to realize is that even if it's been months and years that you've known Christ and your other family members don't seem interested, that God has not forgotten that. That God is at work in their lives through you to speak and to live out your faith. That God is interested in the people in your workplace, the people around us. I saw recently there was a, a man in, uh, in the Tupper Lake area who went hunting. I think Tuesday, I think, of this past week. Went out in the morning. I think he got in a boat and went across the lake. And he didn't come home that night. Passed the, the time period. And his wife called, uh, you know, the four strangers or whatever. And so they sent and began searching for him. I, I read this. It was like two or three days later after that. So the, the word went out and a bunch of rangers came in and, you know, uh, conservation officers and volunteers. They had like a hundred people showing up to find this guy and flotilla of boats going across to grid search and help find one person. Why do a hundred people show up to find somebody who's lost or missing? Because one life is important. One life is valuable. See, the reason that God wants to use you and me in all of the connections that we have in our neighborhoods and our work and where we buy gas and, and online, the whole online community in the new world, and if you're a gamer, the people that you play games with, wherever they are in the world that you actually know, not this, you know, the anonymous thing, is because those lives matter to God. And so God doesn't just want us to say, okay, great, I saved you, this is wonderful, let's live happily ever after. We do, and He gives us eternal life, but He wants, He's planted a seed in us, and He wants that seed to multiply and for us to care for other people, just like those people wanted to reach out to that, for that, find that hunter. He wants us to care about the lost, those that need Jesus around us. Uh, a number of years ago, my dad and I, my parents owned a sailboat in Florida. They live in Pensacola, and it was a big boat. It's not one little one you pull in the trailer, like you just, it has to stay like at the, at the shore. And we were coming back in. I'd only gone out a couple of times. I'm a redhead. I got skin cancer. I got no business doing beaches and boats and all of that. Like I need shade and forest and trees, and that's kind of the way I roll. But we were motoring back in. And uh, we noticed as we were getting close to the dock that uh, there was a, a little, little small little cabin cruiser that was there, and it was blowing smoke, not out the motor, but like it was on fire. It was going. And if you know anything about boats, fires and boats are dangerous. Kind of like you don't want a fire on a plane. You know, that's the reason you're not supposed to smoke on a plane. Fires and boats are dangerous. And the guy jumped overboard because he was scared. And he didn't have a life jacket and apparently went so fast that he just decided to jump overboard. And we were kind of, we were within earshot of the dock. And as my dad and I were kind of like going in, you know, some, I think sometimes bystanders, when, when things happen, just the shock, you don't realize what's going on, you don't react. There were people on the dock watching this guy, watching his boat on fire, jumping in the water without a life jacket, and they're just sitting there. 
They could have, like, hey, do you need help? Do you need anything? Like, they could have gotten a boat and helped him. And my dad and I, were kind of coming in like, that guy's in trouble, <laughs> you know? And we motored over to him and threw a life jacket out at him and used the little boat hook or whatever they call it, the little stick there that you use. And when we brought him in, he was out of breath. Like, he was in trouble. He was going to drown. And people are just sitting there watching it. So here's the thing, guys. It's easy as Christian churches. And I've done it, and you've done it too, so this is not a guilt thing on any of us, but it's easy if we're not careful for us to live our life in a certain way to where we just are focused on our stuff. I don't know what the people were doing on the, on the dock. They're just hanging, watching the view, or having conversation, or eating lunch. But for us to be like that, people whose lives are on fire, who are drowning and need help, and for us to just kind of sit back spiritually, and God, in the middle of saving us, rescues us, but He wants to use us in the lives of other people. Now, we get discouraged. I think we're in a generation of, of, of Christians, especially in New York and today, that we get discouraged because we feel the onslaught of the culture and we've faced rejection so many times that just, you know, we begin to clam up and close up. Well, God's either not doing something or I can't do anything or it's so hard we feel like we're running into a wall. But this morning, I want us to realize is that Jesus sees the world differently. There is a harvest happening around us. And we have to trust Him that He wants to use us just in that little way, you know, just to help somebody. And that if we, in our hearts, are willing to, that in our life, God will at different times use us profoundly in the lives of other people. That's the first thing I want you to notice. The second thing that I want you to notice uh, that to think about this morning is that God wants to use us along the way. And then I got to turn my little tablet on because I don't even know what my next point is, to be honest with you. I knew that was going to happen, so that's why I brought it this morning. I was in Staten Island two days, and it just it was a long week. So anyway, second thing you need to know is that you don't need to know a lot to help Jesus. Isn't that a good one? You knew I was going to say that. You, you don't need to know a lot to help other people know Jesus. What did this woman do? She goes back. She didn't go back quoting Bible verses to her friends and family. She, didn't, she just says, I just met a guy who told me everything I ever did. Remember, she'd been married five times, was living with a guy. She was well known in the community. And in that, we could read it in much of ways, was she a victim or was she, you know, was she, did she suffer abuse in those marriages? Probably some not treated well, right? But she also seems to take ownership, like, he told me everything I've done and what I'm doing. Do you think he might be the Christ? And God used her infamous background in that community to lead all kinds of people to Jesus, which is an incredible story. See, sometimes when you trust Jesus, you look at your life like, you know, I've really messed up. I've made a mess. I've been a disaster. I've done all of this. God can't use me. And that's absolutely not true whatsoever is that God has a way of redeeming all of that and using us profoundly in the lives of people around us. And you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to know all the Bible. You don't have to be a theologian for God to use you. She just simply said those little things. Do you think this might be the guy? And she says words that we're starting to dial in here at River. And she says, come and see. Come see, in verse 29, a man who told me all that I ever did. Come see. 
at River, we increasingly are using this word for different events that we do. Come and see. You know, we saw that earlier with the apostles when they were being called. And here's a woman who just said, come see. She didn't get into a debate. She didn't try to prove anything. She just said, you might want to check this out. It's meaningful for you. You see, we live in a world today where people aren't looking for the Messiah. She knew those people were. And she had already had this religious discussion about all these, I mean, pretty high-end nuances of where to worship God and Jerusalem and Gerizim and all of that religious debate. Most people you work with today, they don't care about that stuff. They don't care about the various religious things you do or I do. They don't care about most of those things. So we would, should say to them, come and see. But when we talk to them, we should talk to them about other things that they do care about. You see, like I shared last week, people are spiritual beings, and they really care about spiritual things. They just don't know that that's what they're thinking about. So what you do is you just tell them a little bit about what Jesus did for you. That's what this woman did. She met him like, I think he's the Messiah. He just told me everything I know, and I don't know how he knows this. So you tell people what Jesus means to you, what he's done for you. So for you it might be, yeah, I, I believe in God. I believe in, in God's Son because He changed my life. And that might be all you need to say or can say or should say. Yeah, God has helped me. I used to battle anxiety so much. But once I met Jesus and found out how much He loves me, I don't have it nearly as much. I still battle it some, like everybody. But he's, He changed my life. I... I have so much more peace. I feel so much more secure in my life. I have so much more confidence. Yeah, God helped fix my marriage. God's helped me tremendously. Folks, if I wasn't a Jesus follower, I would absolutely be divorced because I'd be a real jerk without Jesus. I, I'm telling me personally, I really would be. I would be. Just share out of your heart what Jesus has done. Those are all spiritual issues. Now that I, have, I know Jesus, I have hope. When people are struggling and battling and trying to get through the day and you sense people are really wrestling with things and you talk to them, how do you get through the day? Here's how I get through the day. God just helps me. You don't have to come on heavy and have some big theological, religious, spiritual debate. Just simply share out of what God means for you. It gives you hope. It gives you security. It's changed your life. Talk in those simple terms because that's where people are. And trust that God will use those just like Jesus did with this woman. If you knew who I was, you would ask for some living water. You would never get thirsty again. I mean, such a simple little thing. And she just simply goes to these other people. This guy told me everything I ever known. Oh my goodness. You can already see, get a sense of some repentance and change in her heart. And God used that. You might say, you know what? I used to feel ashamed too about stuff that I've done. But now I know what forgiveness is all about. Share those things with people. Now to share them, here's the thing that you and I struggle with in the culture around us so much today. You have to live close enough to people to be able to have those conversations. We, are so, we live at such superficial levels, and I get it. You can't live in, in closeness with everybody at work. You shouldn't. It would be disastrous for you. But there's somebody there that you can do that with. And there's a few people that you can do that with in your life. And you got to live close enough 
that somewhere along the way that you can have those conversations, that you can put something out there to let God use. So that's the second thing, is that you don't need to know a lot, but God wants to use you along the way. And if you've, and along the way, if you feel like, Sean, I've tried so many times to help people know Jesus. I've invited them to church. I've tried to share the gospel of that and nothing. Be of good courage. You're only one more opportunity away from seeing the next person take that step of faith. Let me give you an example. I, I fish a, a fair amount. I wouldn't say I fish a lot. Go fishing. I use these illustrations enough that you'd think I probably do it every weekend, and I don't, but it's just a helpful illustration as a pastor. I have reeled in a lure without a fish more often than I've reeled it in with a fish. In fact, I'd be willing to say I've reeled in far more weeds than I have fish. I'd be willing to say, and I'm, I'm just a fair fisherman. I don't even think I'm a very good fisherman. But I know that I'm only one cast away from the next one. And that's the same thought, is you don't get discouraged. There's days we've gone fishing and gotten absolutely nothing. Now, when it, you go ice fishing and get nothing, that's a little bit harder. You're kind of like, do I really want to go again and sit for three hours on this block of ice and get nothing? you like, kind of the stakes get high. But if you've tried and tried and tried, don't give up because you're only one more cast away, one more conversation away, and that God will use you in those people's lives. Third thing I want you to know, I'm going to move quickly because I always feel, thank you for those of you who watch kids and occasionally time gets away from me and I always feel bad afterwards, like, oh my goodness, those poor kids, you know, the poor teachers of the kids, I'm always expecting them to be wrapped up in duct tape and tied. And <laughs> Some of you that have kids back there are like, oh my goodness, should we leave our kids there? And some of you are like, yeah, that's my kid, they would totally do that. So I don't know which you are, but anyway, let me move on, all right? So third thing you need to know is sometimes you're going to sow seeds that you won't reap the results but other people are going to. You see, Jesus said, he said, look, somebody else has planted seeds in front of you guys. They've sown these. And now you're beginning to see a harvest. John the Baptist was one planting seeds. All the Old Testament prophets were planting seeds. Jesus was planting seeds. And he's telling the apostles, you're going to reap some. And sometimes you and I reap, and sometimes we sow. When you and I are ministering and serving and talking to people that don't have anything to do with God in their background, we are more and more in a culture in our world today where we're planting seeds. And we want to reap. To be honest with you, I just want, I'm, I'm lazy. There's a reason I don't do anything in my garden at all. I don't even pick this stuff, but I just want to go and pick it and eat it. I'm really lazy that way. I'm glad that my kids, you know, plant and do all the hard work and all of that. And we spiritually want to do it. We want to just see people trust Jesus and take all those steps. But we have to realize that you have to plant. You've got to put something in the ground. You've got to have some of those conversations and water them a little bit. And they don't look like much, but, you know, it's kind of like a little corn, uh, that little, that little um, not grain, what's a corn thing? Kernel, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Kernel of corn. You put it in the ground, it grows so tall and so big and produces so much that you and I, with these little conversations and the way we live our life and the way we engage people, they seem so small, like this isn't anything big, but God uses that. But recognize you're not always going to bring something in. Sometimes you do pull in weeds, and sometimes, but you don't give up. You continue to engage. Fourth thing, it takes work to sow and to reap. Jesus is trying to help his disciples to get this. He says to them, he uses a, a word that we don't like, labor. <laughs> he says in verse 38, he said, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, 
and you have entered into their labor. Guys, it takes work to be about God's business of letting him use us in the lives of other people. It takes work. And because we are Americans, we tend to run our life right up to the red line. We work hard and we play hard. And we don't leave much space in between for hitting any speed bumps. You know what it's like when you hit a speed bump and you're driving and you didn't see it and you hit it at 30 miles an hour. I mean, you just, stuff goes flying and kids, you know, if they weren't strapped in or flying and, you're, you know, men, your wife's looking at you like, what are you doing, you know? And that's the way we live our life, that we're flying down the road and most of us really need to throttle back in some areas of life to create some margin just in every way, financially, relationships, time, all of that. And here's the thing. If you really are living that kind of life, it's hard for you to have any bandwidth to work hard to invest in the souls and lives of other people. And yet that's God's work. Now, you know, we're not Jesus and we're not going to have his ministry, thankfully. We're not apostles and we don't have their ministry, thankfully. I don't want to be Peter and crucified upside down. I'm grateful to I pray that's not my future. But all of us are at least like the Samaritan woman that God wants to use to go to talk to some people to put our water pot down. And like, I got chores to do. She had to come back and still get the water and get her water pot and still was probably behind on the chores of the day and all of that. And so for you and for me, it takes work. And work simply is energy and time, right? And some resources, but it takes a chunk of your life and a focus and a willingness to put yourself out there and to focus on it. So you and I should be willing to step back and to say, God, how do you want to use me in the world around me? God, I'm willing. I, I've, I'm seeing this in John. I'm hearing what Sean's talking about. God, I'm, I'm available. First thing I encourage you to do is to pray for those people in your workplace, your neighborhoods, and your family to pray, continue to pray, and don't ever give up on that. The second thing is, is to try to have a little spiritual, some kind of conversation out there. Ask for those opportunities. You don't need to worry about sitting down and sharing with them the whole plan of salvation. That's great. But for most often, it's just going to start with some little things, maybe even... I'm going to pray for you. Or would it be okay if I prayed for you? And if you think it's going to be a little weird for them, don't stop the assembly line. You know, okay, everybody stop. I'm going to come pray for it. That would be weird. Your coworker would be like, you are a whack job. I'm never talking to you again. But pray for them alone, you know, or on your own time. And if they're willing to then, that's fine. So be it. But use those little spiritual opportunities to let God work in their life and begin priming that pump and have those conversations. Other things you can do, we're trying hard to do the come and see events to where people who are interested in other things, people who come on Sundays are flat out interested in Jesus and God and church. More than 50% of the people around us are not interested in that. They're never going to come. And so you and I have to find other ways to engage them. And that's what our come and see football is about. 
That's what our outdoor community days are about. That's what our uh, packing party is about. It's about you and I living as a church together because we have fun in those things being together. And then it's allowing other people, oh, those are, those are fun people. They kind of like being together. I kind of like some of the stuff I care. It's to let them to just come and see, take some walls down, remove some assumptions in their heart, pick some weeds out of whatever in their life, and to help you go to take those next steps with them. There's lots of other things that you can do depending on where people are. You'll see in the seats in front of you, we have little, little cards that you can leave. If you go out to eat, I've pointed these out before. We'll continue to have these available, but you can take a little business card and stick it in your purse or your wallet and, and leave a tip for somebody uh, at your, your uh, server at the table. If you do it, give them a good tip, all right? Don't be that person that, like, you were seen, and I'm leaving you a penny tip. Like, do something good for them. Maybe you get your car worked on, you give a tip for somebody, something unusual, cookies, whatever. And, and if you don't want to do that, we've got these little business cards at River of Life. They have our church address on it. Give them out to people. And then maybe you have some friends that are interested in talking about spiritual things. We've, we're something that we're trying to work on is to help people and have opportunities to have conversations. And here's just a little, a little booklet that any one of you could use. It, it, it's little six steps, little six chapters in here, and it reads a little section of Scripture. You don't have to teach anything, and it's just questions. So you could literally have a, your friend, your next-door neighbor, anybody, and you could sit down with them have some coffee, have lunch, read it together, and talk, you know? And so there's lots of tools and things that we can have, that we, or we do have that you can use, but it starts with prayer, looking at who, having those conversations, inviting them to come and see, putting some things out there, and letting God be the one who's responsible for the results. But you and I have to be willing to work to put ourselves out there. Last thing, and I'm done. People need time with Jesus to believe. Look at verse 19, 39, excuse me. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> he told me all that I ever did. She one little sentence. This guy told me all I ever did, and the Bible said many people in the town believed that. It's incredible. Incredible how God used her. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amazing what God did in their lives in those two days. You and I have people that we're reaching out to, and along the way we do, do, do have the little conversation and invite to come and see. But as they, people start moving along and God is working in the heart, what they really need are Jesus' words, and they need time with Jesus. That's what that booklet is for, to help people to begin to saturate and soak in what God's Word is all about. Because for God to save a human soul, He has to overcome their sin, their objections, 
their pride, their ego, all kinds of stuff. You and I as sinners, before we trust Jesus, everything inside of us is against God and against Jesus. And God has to take those walls down, break through those by His Holy Spirit, and He awakens our hearts to where we want Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. And there are people in your lives today that seem hardened and the walls high. But you and I, the problem is, is we think that we are living in a desert spiritually. And we're not. Jesus looks at the world around us and says, there might not be as much fruit as you want, but there's fruit out there waiting to be picked. And I just need some people that are willing to engage, that are willing to work, willing to have conversations, willing to invite, and willing to pray, and to be a part of what I'm doing. And it was such a big deal, Jesus was trying to drive the point home to his friends, his, those disciples. Yes, I need to eat, but there's something more important than just having a good meal and making my way in this world is I got a job to do. And folks, God has a job for us to do in the middle of this world. So I don't want you and I, when we stand before God, to be like the people that are on the dock watching this world go up in flames and people around us because we think that they can't be saved or are not interested. I want us to learn with what Jesus did, what Jesus said. I said, guys, there's a harvest around us. And to invest and to let God bring the fruit as we go along. So I'm excited tonight that we get to have a come and see party. I'm grateful for the finger foods that you're running. Is fall finger food a thing? I don't know if it is. Fun fall finger food. You know, pastors love alliteration. Being a friend and fun fall. I was thinking, how many S can I get in there? Genuinely, it takes work to make those goodies, or at least work to go to the store and buy those goodies, if that's your thing. But we have people coming tonight that don't know Jesus. I'm excited about that. And that's our little piece of that. That's all a part of it. The stuff that you guys do every week by uh, volunteering with our kids' ministry and cleaning the building and all those things, all of that is labor for us together to worship God, but it's also to reach other people with the gospel. We know those things. But I want you to also to know that God wants to use you out in that crazy, weird world and to have the lens that He has to see that He's going to work in people's lives in ways that you never expected, that you never thought possible. Because those disciples looked at those Samaritans. They're just a bunch of Samaritans. They can't be saved. They're idol worshipers. They're so hard and they're so messed up. They don't like us. And yet Jesus walks into town and does amazing things in their lives. You and I write people off far too quickly. And in doing so, we underestimate the power of God in a person's life. Let's don't do that as a church. Instead, let's intentionally work and reach out. I'm going to close this part of our service and there's probably some things you need to decide to do or think about. I don't know, um, maybe inviting people to things, or maybe you've decided, okay, I will go play flag football. Because I'm not into flag football, but my buddy is, and I'm going to invite him. Hey, come out and have lunch and play flag football. Maybe there's some other stuff you need to decide. I don't know. But take this time to respond to God to what you've said, to, to what He's saying to you in your heart. Maybe you need to pray for some people by name. Maybe you used to do it and you've kind of fallen off that and need to get back to it. 
but respond to God in that. But also take this time because we're going to bridge into our, our Lord's Supper, our communion, of celebrating this salvation that Jesus died for us. And He gave His life for us. But it's not just for us. It's meant to be shared. So just as we share in this communion together, there's people here to, that are not here today in these empty seats. I'm not talking about our church family. I'm talking people that are not in our family yet, that God wants one day to come and celebrate this same Lord's table with. So pray for them and as well as you prepare your heart for communion. So let me close this and we'll get ready for the Lord's Supper. Father, I thank you for your salvation. I thank you, Lord, that, uh, for your incredible grace. Thank you for the truths that we, we get to be a part of helping other people know you. Lord, that's incredible. It, it really is, it takes a miracle to do that. And Father, we get discouraged. We get so discouraged when we don't see much happening in somebody's life and, and all the crazy things in the world around us and the junk at work and all of that. Father, Jesus, we know Jesus saw all of that. He knew what was going on around him. But he also knew in the middle of it that there was a, were pockets of people and there was fruit to be picked. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be part of your harvest. I pray, Lord, for those that are faithfully trying to do that, that you would allow them as they plant seeds to also reap and to enjoy picking that fruit. Father, help us to represent you well, I pray. And Lord, as we enter into this table, this time of the Lord's table, remembering that Jesus died for us. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that he is our everything. And through him, we have eternal life. And we do have hope and salvation and life abundant. And you want us to use that and to share that with other people. Thank you for that incredible reality and this reminder that you gave us to remember it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 